Hey, Rachel, is Wolverine dead yet? Pretty much, Miles. I mean, as of last week, he was still cranking along in Amazing X-Men, but that seems sort of divorced from general continuity, so I think it's fair to say that he's dead for all practical purposes. I mean, at least for now. Okay, so how do you kill a guy with a healing factor? Well, the Xavier protocols indicate decapitation, but in the case of the death of Wolverine, they just bypass the issue entirely by getting rid of his healing factor first. How do you lose it? Virus from the microverse. The microverse. It's where the Micronauts toys come from. It's the subatomic universe plus a bunch of Star Wars stuff with the serial numbers filed off. I don't don't go into it. O- okay, but but I want to go back to the Xavier protocols, though, because that's bugging me. I mean, would decapitation actually kill him? You know, with his healing factor and all. Unlikely. I mean, at this point, he survived not only ground zero at an atomic explosion, but having literally all of his soft tissue burned off by solar radiation. I mean, how can he even survive that? Well, he doesn't always. I mean, he was in hell for a while, and there was a whole arc about it, and he came back and got possessed. And um, I think there's actually even some explanation for how he can come back from his injuries after they've technically killed him. But I pretty much gave up on Wolverine. Wolverine solo titles after the first few, so I don't know what it is. Okay, well, um, maybe Greg Rucka knows. Hey, Greg, can Wolverine's healing factor bring him back when he straight up dies? Yes, we do know that this is possible because it has been depicted over and over again over the last several decades that he'll come back from a drop of blood. What we all seem to forget is the core power of Wolverine, the one thing that sustains him, the one thing that will bring him back from even fighting the angel of death. And what's that? Love. What? I'm Rachel Adderton. And I'm Miles Stokes. And we are here to explain the X-Men. Because it's about time someone did. Welcome to the 28th episode of Rachel and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, outs, and retcons of our very favorite superhero soap opera. So we are very, very happy to be back in the studio after New York Comic Con. That convention was great. We had a great interview, but it's nice to be here with the headphones and fancy microphones. Yeah, not recording on my laptop in a hotel room. I do miss the drinking while we record it, though. That was good. But we are also back with one of our very, very favorite humans, uh, writer Greg Rucka, about one of our very favorite X-Men, Kitty Pride. Hi, Greg. Hi. How are you guys? Good. We are so glad to have you back. I'm delighted. I feel like we should say that last time we had you on, which was for for episode seven, it was to talk about the Cyclops solo series. Um, This is not us teasing that Greg's about to start writing a Kitty solo book for Marvel. Although if you wanted to send Marvel a lot of letters saying you'd like that, we wouldn't object to it. Hashtag. I have no idea what the hashtag is. Rucka Kitty, Rucka Cat, maybe? Shadow Greg? Shadow shadow Greg. Rucka Cat. We, we have so many options, and they Rucka all probably... <laughs> That's a different movement entirely. <laughs> I feel like these are all slash pairings exactly. we're describing we're here. We're really already in deep, deep weeds. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be going through who Kitty was at this time, the time where we are in the podcast, the, the early 80s, how she got from kind of where she started to where she is at the point where we are right now, and basically how that's a step along the way to where she is in current continuity in 2014. In the process, we're going to be spending, I think, the bulk of this episode on the 1984 to 85 Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries, which is is kind of a critical transition point. It is, if nothing else, where she picks up her longest lived and best known codename Shadowcat. But before that, we are going to go back a little bit to X-Men 153, and that is Kitty's fairy tale. This is a really well-remembered issue. It, it is a lot of fun. It's when Kitty Pride is still pretty it's new sweet. to the team. 
It's just sort of heartwarming, and, and with all the hell Claremont puts his characters through, that's really refreshing. Basically, it's structured as a bedtime story that Kitty's telling Ilyana Rasputin, Colossus's little sister. Now, this is before she goes to hell and gets all aged up and goes through terrible, terrible experiences. This she's, is when she's still six. And it's she's also, also trying to score points with Peter. I mean, from her first appearance, she's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, who's that yeah. big hunk of Russian metal? <laughs> there you go. The entire issue is really in this kind of alternate continuity, which, by the way, is um, Earth 5311, I believe. Oh, yeah, it exists. Nightcrawler ends up actually going there during the Nightcrawler limited series. Um, so I'm not sure whether this Earth springs into existence as a result of Kitty making it up or if she's somehow tapping it in. But yeah, all of these things are things that technically so exist Grant, in the Marvel multiverse. There, there's a pre-Grant Morrison, Grant Morrison moment there is what we're saying. Exactly. It is conceived and therefore exists. Which is also known as Marvel Comics never being able to leave well enough alone. Yes. Again, Earth 200,500, still the best. <laughs> that's Earth on fire, right? No, that's the one where the Avengers all have beards. Oh, right. <laughs> Like, that's its only defining characteristic. <laughs> Otherwise, it's identical in every way. Yes. Exactly. I think there was an episode of Sliders that opened with a universe where it was the same, except all the women had mustaches. I want to live in that universe. Why do these things stick in my head? So I, I think if we're going to be talking about Kitty's fairy tale, we should probably talk about the characters, because I think that's really where Kitty's sort of attitudes and uh, personality comes through. Yeah. So we have Kitty Pride as Pirate Kitty, who is captain of the not actually pirate ship, but pirate dragon, Lockheed. Now, this is before Lockheed the dragon shows up in the book. And at this point, Lockheed is just named after the Blackbird, the SR-71 yeah, the that they have. And then she names her pet dragon after her made up fairy tale dragon. She's as convoluted as the comic that she's in sometimes. I feel like there's an anti-stinker ending with Kitty just pulling all the strings. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's behind everything in the Marvel Universe. True to her courtship of Colossus, Colossus is the first mate and true love of Pirate Kitty. Those are like his two titles. They're one below the other on his business cards, I guess. Yeah. And then, yeah, we also have Scott Summers, Cyclops, as the Noble Prince. Like, that's his name. Well, Cyclopes, technically. And uh, Charles Xavier as the Wizard Xavier. Rose Storm as the Genie. And Kurt is under protest. He's a Bamf, and we keep seeing Bamfs come back. Now, not like, you know, acronymed Bamfs, but like these cute little blue plush things, and they currently factor rather heavily into Wolverine and the X-Men. We did a cold open about them, didn't we? Because people kept asking. I think we did, yeah. They're continuity nightmares. Uh, at one point, we also see Nightcrawler uh, entirely naked on Amanda Sefton's couch, shielding his junk with a little Bamf doll that he gives her. Predicting but, years later when Hawkeye's junk would be covered by a tiny little Hawkeye head. It's a really charming story. It's basically her doing kind of a, a happy ending fairy tale version of the Dark Phoenix saga. Like, we see Jean as the Dark Phoenix in it, and the other characters are all trying to fix this problem in a way that doesn't end with her dying on the moon. You forgot Wolverine. He's the fiend with no name, who actually does have a name, which is mean, mean. with two E's. Yes. Yeah, oh, but right. um, yeah, she doesn't like him at this point. She just thinks he's a jerk. Yeah, he's basically like a little cartoon Tasmanian devil kind of character. And this yeah. may be my favorite portrayal of Wolverine, actually. It's fairly accurate, actually. I think when he appears, he's eating cans of beer. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I mean, I think if I remember the panels are he flings them up and this little squat Tasmanian devilish Wolverine chews and spits out cans and that's that's what he's subsisting on. So. Like um, I said, Wolverine, per it's the perfect Wolverine. <laughs> it's basically the Dark Phoenix Saga as a fairy tale with a happy ending. Kitty wasn't there for the Dark Phoenix Saga. This is her basing it on what she's presumably heard about it. And it's a kind of good window into how she sees the X-Men this, at this point. Just as this colorful time. grand adventure. Mm -hmm. And boy, is that going to change fast. I think she's still maybe 13 at this point because she doesn't have her, her 14th birthday until she's in space for the Brood Saga. This is really a very 
innocent, optimistic kitty. She's been through some hard times, but aside from, you know, this person she barely knew dying, and obviously that was tragic, things have gone pretty well for her on the on the X-Men. She's still this very happy-go-lucky character at this point. I think it's one of my favorite, maybe my single favorite X-Men one-shots. Really? Yeah, it's not only a really good window on Kitty, but I think it's a really good window on the team because as she's telling this, it goes back and forth between the story and the other X-Men gradually congregating outside Eliana's door and listening in. And it's fantastic. It's really humanizing. You know, the cover of the issue is Kitty standing outside of a movie theater with a movie poster that is of the fairy tale. And it's, you know, it is one of those covers that was more common of the era where she's got a word balloon and what she's saying is and now for something completely different which is the monty python reference directly right you know, that's mm-hmm. not that's not accidental i assume no chris claremont references are ever accidental well i think that There's that's so very they, I, th- I think you are safe in saying that but it is <laughs> it is that read on it at least in terms of its dramatic placing is absolutely correct it's meant to be a palate cleanser and it's meant to be something lighter and like most, you know, my experience of uh, when storytelling brings in those unexpected sort of entre-act pieces, those tend to be the most loved anyway. It's that quick shift and an opportunity to see slightly different angles. And I don't think there's really anything terribly revelatory in it. I don't really think you read it and you go, oh, Kitty's got a thing for Peter. No, <laughs> you, you knew no. that going in. But it is delightful. And I think that that sense of delight was something that had been absent prior for a while. Oh, yeah. It had just been so freaking heavy for Mm -hmm. so long. And I mean, then it was going to just dive right back into that. Which it really did. I mean, so let's look at what came between that and Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Kitty goes through some serious shit in about 33 issues because Kitty Pride and Wolverine takes place between X-Men 186 and 187. We're going to be working our way up to this over the next couple episodes between Kitty's fairy tale and that, let's see, we've got her parents divorced. We've got the Brood Saga. Uh, she is kicked off and then let back onto the team. Storm's radical transformation, which Kitty takes terribly. Um, and then she hooks up and splits up with Colossus. She hooks up and is dumped by. Right, and is dumped uh, by the, Colossus. The, the, point. There yeah. is a distinction there. I try. I really tried to read Secret Wars this week. I, it, it, <laughs> I got about half an issue in and well, then you're decided. you have to do it because apparently you're, it's coming back. You know what? Oh, God. No. no. Well, the, the relevant part, anyway, for Kitty is that Colossus meets this alien healer on Battle World, which is where the Secret Wars miniseries takes place, <laughs> named Zaji. And uh, he falls in love with her, as does the human torch, actually. Zaji dies resurrecting the X Men after Doctor Doom kills them i think and he realizes he was in love with zaji he's already been insecure with kitty because she's got this friends named doug ramsey and also because she's 15 and he sees himself as a awkward country bumpkin who's like 10 years older than her and well, five years older than her i guess something and- like that but the point is her first true love because of course it's always true love when you're a teenager it's always the one has left her and so so yeah she, she's been through some stuff uh, i think she's about when we get to the kitty pride and wolverine miniseries she is around 15 does, does that sound yeah. right I think she's about 15 at that point. This was a miniseries that was written between 84 and 85. It's a six-issue miniseries, and it very much calls back to the four-issue Wolverine miniseries by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller, which is a well-loved classic. And that's unfortunate, because honestly, what those points of comparison mostly demonstrate is that the Kitty Pride and Wolverine series is not nearly as good. We talked a lot about the sort of amazing writer-artist alchemy and best of both worlds with Chris Claremont and Frank Miller, and Chris Claremont and Al Milgram do not have that going on. Well, I think it's, it's also more than that. I was buying comics when this came out. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, that is how old I am. That's that's how much the Wayback Machine this is for me. I remember when this was announced. I remember picking them up. And I remember there being legitimate excitement about it because of that original Wolverine mini. One cannot lay this on Al. This is not a worthy story. 
it attempts, I think, to be for Kitty's character what the Wolverine Mini was for Wolverine. And it absolutely fails, I think, on every possible level. It just, it misses all of its important beats. It magic wands, I think, in the worst possible way, even for the era. Yeah, it's really a, a rough comparison to have them next to each other. There's no way for them not to be. I mean, we do see a kitty that comes out of the story changed in some ways. But yeah, I would agree, not as much as she should have been. Not as much, nearly as much as, say, Wolverine was by his Japan miniseries. I feel like the two big takeaways of this, the two things that actually really matter in this series that are established in it, are Wolverine and Kitty's sort of mental relationship and her new code name. And I think her being a bit more independent. I, I would say that does come out of it, at least based on the X-Men comics that come before it and the X-Men comics that come after it. Even if the miniseries doesn't establish that well itself, there is at least that it's, change that does happen. It, it's very something. Though I suppose I feel bad like I jumped ahead on, on our queue here and you guys <laughs> probably want to synopsize it really quickly so people have some idea of what we're talking about. But. Yeah, well, no, let's let's definitely yeah. go Ninjas. through it because, I mean... <laughs> Kitty ends up in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kitty ends up in Japan in a figure skating costume, which I think is an important detail because it is Kitty. And, oh, and she gets a new costume out of it, but I feel like that just means it's Wednesday. She gets a couple <laughs> new costumes out of it, really. She has one yeah. that sticks, but... It's yeah. true. She goes through wardrobe changes in this one, like... Like Kitty Pride, right, yes, like yeah. Kitty Pride. <laughs> so okay, let's let's go through the Kitty Pride and Wolverine series again. You know, even if it's not the strongest X Men story by a long shot, we have chosen our path, and our path is to talk about <laughs> all of the X Men, all of it. So Kitty's parents have been divorced, like you mentioned, Rachel. Yep. Um, her dad is named Carmen Pride, and he is a banker kind of dude. Um, in Chicago. It's important to me that she's from Chicago. I understand. You have okay. a lot of family in Chicago. Yeah. And she walks in on a meeting with her dad while she's uh, there for the holidays, right? Because, like, it's Hanukkah. I think she just got her new ice skates. She, she has come home because she is getting over Peter dumping her. The miniseries begins with a little monologue of her coming back from ice skating and talking about how she's it's the first time she's left her room because she's run out of tears. Oh, man. Oh, she's so 14. Yes, she is. I assume that Xavier doesn't just like let people have breakup hiatuses when they're actual students, but maybe not because he's kind of sketchy about running a school. It's true. Is the Xavier Institute accredited? Yeah, I was going to say, attendance never seemed to be an issue in those classes. She goes to talk to her father and she sees him in a meeting with a bunch of Japanese men, uh, one of whom is a guy named Shigematsu. She sees another dude named, okay, so it's spelled O-G-U-N. Rachel, you look this up. The U has a line over it. I'm sure there's a name for that. I asked my extremely credible and excellent source doctor internet by which I mean actually a number of people I know who actually know Japanese and know how it's transliterated into English and it is apparently pronounced Ogun. So I've been saying Ogun since I read this miniseries. I'm going to try to say Ogun but I'm probably going to slip up. Yeah, she's kind of freaked out by this guy. He reminds her of when she first met Wolverine. Yeah, there's a line. I think I, I suddenly remembered how scared I was the first time I met Wolverine. Without a word being said I'd known instinctively what he was. Ogun's the same. So we learn a little about Ogun later. Um, the short version is he is this functionally ageless ninja master, supposedly the old story of Miyamoto Musashi meeting a guy on a bridge and they're going to fight to see who's worthy to cross first. They see they're the same level of worthiness and they walk away. They work that out by gazing soulfully in each other's eyes, which I assume is sort of something that's going to be a precursor to centuries of slash fiction. The other way to put it is they eye fuck each other for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so would the pairing be Miyamoto Goon? Is that, is that the slash pairing? I thought that it was Murasama 
Kama in the original legend. But in, in this version, at least in the Marvel Universe, it's Ogun. And he was also Wolverine's mentor in Japan. You know, we've we've had alluded to the fact you that Wolverine... You have to finish the story, right? Which is they stare at each other and then they go, oh, wait, I've taken your measure. I have done this battle entirely in my head. And they each turn around and walk away. Right, yes, having, exactly. Having acknowledged each other as worthy adversaries throughout the ages. And, and go off to change their pants. Yes, and this is significant because when Wolverine tells of this story later... He does not get the walk away. Ogun takes a look at him and says, yeah, I can take you. This is one of those rare instances throughout the miniseries where Wolverine is over and over again suffering a crisis of confidence. It's very odd for him. Oh, no, I can't win. Oh, no, I can't win. I can't do this. Well, you know, Wolverine's still around. Uh, well, actually, now he's not, technically. And Ogun was kind of for involved now. with that, but that's a longer story. He always feels super contrived when he comes back. He's Who, like Ogun he's- or Wolverine? <laughs> <laughs> no, Oguna sort of strikes me as low rent Mr. Sinister because he survives <laughs> by grooming and possessing his pupils. Yeah, like it's never entirely clear, but it's very. You just gave away the whole miniseries right there, too. That's not true. We don't know whether he'll <laughs> succeed. <laughs> he doesn't succeed. Well, anyway, so the other context of Ogun is that he's, when, when Wolverine was in Japan in the past, which we've seen alluded to but haven't really heard much about, Ogun was kind of his mentor, his sensei, and he taught Wolverine how to do a lot of the stuff that he can do now. All the cool ninja shit. Because um, again, we don't distinguish between samurai and ninja right now. Japanese fighty guys. God. Uh, so, yes, Carmen is freaked out by this business deal, which clearly is very shady with Shigematsu and Ogun, and says, hey, I gotta go to Japan. You should go back to the school at Westchester. Don't worry about it. It's gonna be fine. Here's some cash for a plane ticket. <laughs> Here's a bundle of cash for a plane <laughs> ticket. Get kitty. yourself an ice cream cone. <laughs> yeah. He's a banker. I'm assuming he just has bundles of cash. Yeah, lying like, around. It's this like part this of his... may be why he has to go to Japan for this meeting. <laughs> it's true. Um, so Kitty, of course, stows away, and she already has a tradition of stowing away. See figure one, the uh, Hellfire Club saga before the Dark Phoenix saga. See figure two, the Savage Land. She specifically has a history of stowing away in ridiculous and context-inappropriate outfits. Oh, that's very true, because now she's in this like pink and black ice skating outfit. Right, and before it was roller skates. Her ice skates actually make it all the way to Japan. They do. And airport security is much more lax. You know, she just fades past them. Although later on when Wolverine goes through airport security, we learn that he does have a medical card for why he sets <laughs> off all the metal detectors, which I like. Um, yeah, I think people forget that he did actually like work for the government for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Kitty heads to Japan. She finds um, her father in Shigematsu's building, but she gets kicked out. Uh, and they're having a fight, and Shikamatsu is trying to buy his bank, and it's becoming increasingly obvious that her dad's involved in some really shady and extra-legal shit. This is like some Yakuza kind of stuff. Ogun says, all right, you know what? As payment for helping you, Shigematsu, I am taking this girl. I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. I'm pretty sure you can't just claim 15-year-olds as payment. You can't just be like, job well done. I'll take that kid over there. Well, I don't know. I mean, there, there, a lot of shady stuff came to light about the uh, financial industry during the recession a little while back. So maybe that was part of it. Yeah, and Carmen does actually talk about the recession, so it could be. There we go. See, perfect. Uh, so yeah, Kitty's life really sucks at this point. She's in this country that she's been to before, but now she's broke and alone and really sick from being out in the rain a whole lot. And she's like, I've made a huge mistake. And she does try to call home, but when Wolverine asks her, she hangs up just because she's so ashamed and has one of my favorite Kitty Pride lines from this book. What I wouldn't give for one of Peter's special cuddles. You know, no, Kitty, the mere fact that you call those special cuddles tells me you're not ready. I think we just made two Arrested Development references in the space of like 15 seconds. High five. Bam. Ogun, Ogun, rather, eventually runs into her and... Run, you talk like it's an accident. He ambushes her in the sewer. And uh, blows this powder in her face to knock her out. And the next time we see her, she is kind of in this weird psychic realm. And he's cutting off her costume with a sword. And and her, and her hair, hair as well. And, and her, her hair. hair, too. And so we were... Uh, and so he turns her into a baby. 
Yeah, and it's which so, somehow actually oh, makes the situation. Don't I don't know. Does that make it more or less creepy? The whole thing is problematic between that and the number of shots we have of women in the bath in in this miniseries. Yeah, that you is know a because thing. the Japanese bathing culture is so uh, respectfully honored here. <laughs> um, almost breasts, almost breasts. There's some really dodgy stuff going on here, guys. We talked a couple of episodes about how uh, Bob McCloud does a really good job of showing nudity as a part of life without being creepy about it in New Mutants. Yeah, this is not that. It's not that. No. That being said, I mean, I understand. I think I understand what the intent was. It's sort of a metaphorical cutting Kitty down, severing her from her previous ties to civilization, to her previous identity, to her previous you know family and connections. What it actually is is cutting the hair and clothes off a teenager with a sword. On the scale of one to Belasco, where do we put this on the creepiness and grooming? Okay, so the, the, the difference I see here between Belasco's training of Liana, which we cover in, in a previous so I guess, episode. God, would one on that scale be Wolverine? That's really distressing. Maybe. Okay, that's a different podcast, and you'll have to do the whole scale and iterate it. <laughs> no. I would rate it just below Belasco. Okay. Right. There is, there's an implied sexual content. The difference, though, I think, is that the Belasco, I mean, not in terms of creepiness, but in terms of, I guess, uh, theme. Is Belasco's that, super explicit. It's not just implied. Right, but he's actually grooming yes, Liliana. He's, he's corrupting yeah. her. He's, like, yes. bringing forth this stuff within her. Ogun is basically just using Kitty as a blank template to overwrite his personality and skills onto her. No, he's he's no. sort of re-raising her. Yes, he is making a child. Yeah. See, I, I always took that, though, as him not taking the existing Kitty and transforming her, but so much breaking her down to nothing and then building this new Kitty. See, that's maybe actually creepier. Yeah, I'm, it's I, all creepy. We're, we're we're splitting such a narrow hair here. You know, <laughs> is it creepy? Yes. Which is this inappropriate behavior for adults? Yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah, kids. If someone tries to de-age you to a baby and re-raise you as a ninja, as, tell an adult as as an unthinkingly obedient killing machine. This is what we refer to as bad touch. <laughs> Very. And, uh, and and yeah, I mean, Greg, that's exactly what he turns Kitty into, which is this mindless, perfect assassin. And this is also And where, then it becomes a Wolverine series. If I had to pick one objection to this whole series, for me, I think that would be it. I think See, I can't pick just one. <laughs> well, if I had to, if I were first. Oh, that's why we have you here. <laughs> exactly. I, I really, I like the idea of focusing on Kitty as a character of showing her evolution, but there's so much Wolverine in this series. And I understand, you know, Wolverine was a very marketable character at the time. Clearly, some things don't change. And so they wanted to, to do that. But while Kitty is possessed-ish ninja killing machine, she really loses focus and agency in the story for, for Absolutely. quite a while as Wolverine for, shows up to rescue her. For the rest of the story. Almost. I mean, yeah, I think it's the last couple issues when Kitty goes off on her own when she's... But she doesn't do anything of real merit. I mean, even she, in the final confrontation... Yeah, um, she she intends to certainly. She at least she takes that step, but it, it is Wolverine right, that does. But again, it, again, that's all orchestrated by by Logan, right? It's like I have to see if you know if you're willing, if you're a killer or not. You know that final moment. That he's last pushing, part. Yeah, that's it, yeah. she has no agency. She's in manipulation the entire time. What's the most effective thing she does in the denouement? She phases. But we're getting ahead of ourselves <clears> here <throat> uh, because we have. Well, we have I don't other think. Stuff. I don't. I honestly don't think it's worth this much time, Miles. <laughs> I think you need to. <laughs> so, so let's let's compromise. What are what are the takeaways that people should should have as far as Kitty and as far as where the series puts us? Okay, so... She learns a bunch of ninja skills. Well, she learns and then actually loses because once the... No, Ogun, she relearns them. She, she learns them legit. Right. Ogun's programming wears off and Wolverine is her mentor for a while and, you know, trains her in the woods and stuff as, she, as he's attempting to help her reassert her own personality. <laughs> I wish this was a video podcast. I really do. The look on Rachel's face right now. <laughs> 
So anyway, <laughs> that happens. We have Kitty with a new name, Shadow Cat, that she chooses for for herself as mm-hmm. sort of a symbolism of the transition to someone, I guess, darker, more nuanced. No, it's Jeez. specifically to what a 14-year-old <laughs> considers a darker and more nuanced code name. <laughs> to be fair, if I had to come up with a code name when I was 14, it would probably be something along those lines. I think that's her code name in like one other universe, but it's usually something else, and I think that's probably usually mm-hmm. for the best. Probably the most lasting thing that's established here is the Wolverine and Kitty Pride mentor dynamic, but on a larger scale than that, the Wolverine and adolescent girl mentor dynamic. That's something mm-hmm. we're going to see again and again after this. Though it does go to some of the apocryphal, I guess, uh, stories about what was planned for for Kitty and Logan later down the line by Claremont. And I actually so, hadn't heard about that. Oh, there, I, there's a story that I've heard told more than once about the fact that, that Claremont has said that Kitty is Logan's true love, that that's where he was going with it. Really? Oh, yeah. hell no. And if you read this with that, with an eye towards that, it's... So much worse. It's, well, it's also abundantly clear. You can see the positioning being done there. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely yeah, do it's not a, like it's, that. It is, it is a problematic trajectory for the characters, uh, right, to right. say the least. That's kind of character assassination for both of them, really. Yeah. I'm not sure there's a large fan base for that read out there. So I don't no, think you know. Though, though, be prepared for the cascade of outraged comments, I suppose. Yeah, yeah you know I've what? Outraged commenters, you're wrong. <laughs> I guess there's also just the long, long, creepy genre fiction tradition of hooking every girl up with her surrogate father yeah, figure with, ever, with which is why I stopped reading Anne McCaffrey. I was about to bring up Anne McCaffrey. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, basically Ogun, uh, Ogun is killed. Uh, Wolverine kills Ogun and Kitty, you know, pretty much gets over the weird overwriting programming thing. But she's still got the haircut, the code name, and a new costume, which again, it's Wednesday. Yeah. But first she has an amazing disco outfit when they go out for ice cream. Well, That's true. The, the costume is also, there's a line in the story when she's wearing the new costume about it's not a costume it's what the japanese kids are wearing hmm. she is dressed like a 14 or 15 year old japanese girl there's a line in the text where she's she puts the makeup on her eyes right i remember that yeah and yeah. she's like now i just look like everybody else and it's like oh honey, no you don't no, sweetie no. you really don't i, well, mean, I don't know man i've, 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 I've played the world ends with you i've i've, I've seen uh you know um, that's not real, right? Well, you know. Anyway. I uh, have personal objections to any costumes that have scarves, too. Here, let me give you something you can grab with both hands and choke me to death. So, anyway, Kitty Pride and Wolverine, six-issue series in the 80s. If you're, if you're a completist as far as continuity, then I would say absolutely read it. For me, it's Claremont's first work that feels kind of weak. I think he'd, he'd been batting, mm-hmm. if not a thousand, then close up until this yeah. point. And this was kind of yeah. not so much. Yeah. Like I said, I'm sorry, Sorry. Rachel, go ahead. (laughs) We're so polite. I I was just going to say, I mean, like I said, I remember I bought these when they came out Mm -hmm. and I remember being bitterly disappointed by the end of it. Um, And it was the first time I had been let down by these books. I I was kind of like, this doesn't make any, this is garbage. (laughs) And I speak solely as, as a guy who tries to tell a good story. If I write a story and I take this character and I say, I'm going to write this huge transition story. And in the course of this story, one of the things that I want to do in the whole oeuvre, right, is introduce a new set of skills to this character. I want to redefine the skill. Why would I undo it at the end? If you are going to say, never mind the issue of chronology in the course of these issues, like how long did it take her to become a ninja who was better than Wolverine? Well, our midway point, when Wolverine first encounters her as the assassin, and he doesn't know it's her, because he's like, I should have hit her. Mm-hmm. I should have hit her. And by that point, you're reading it going, that's because it's Kitty, dumbass. Come on. It's phasing. Yes. 
she gets this whole set of skills. And then at the end of it, she just, what did you get? I got a code name and a costume. And eventually, eventually I'll get this back. And it's like, well, I don't understand what the purpose of this mini series is. That's the thing that killed me. Mm -hmm. Even at his clumsiness, Claremont was always very objective driven. In the stories, you knew what the purpose of the story was. You know, this is to move these characters here so we can do the aliens thing. And you come out of that miniseries and you're like, I don't know why I read this. I really don't understand what this was supposed to do. And that's something we will see so much more of yeah. in X-Men history going forward. I'm trying to think of a good example, but yeah, there were there were so many crossovers, Secret so many Wars. miniseries. Mm. Well, okay. Well, Secret Wars, that was a clear objective right there to sell some toys. That's true. Yeah. That did have that did go in with a clear purpose. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was Kitty Pride and Wolverine, pretty much. Um, you know, obviously we didn't cover it in as much detail as we often cover stories, but Greg, like you said, it's it's kind of not worth it, aside from to catch the major, major story beats. Yeah, and well, not and then, a lot happens. The other thing you need to know is that at the end, Carmen has seen the error of his ways and he's in jail mm-hmm. so now kitty's got divorced parents an absent mom and dad's in jail she continues to be entirely isolated from everybody except the other x-men but it's true i mean the only real character that she was she's close to at this point who's not a member of the x-men is doug ramsey who will shortly become a member of the new mutants but um yeah so let's go ahead and talk about kind of the evolution of of kitty as Shadowcat after this Well, she's with the X-Men for a while, on and off with the X-Men and the New Mutants, and then she gets shunted to what I think of as sort of the golden Kitty Pryde era, and that is on Excalibur, um, which is the British superhero team with Captain Britain and Megan, and she and and Nightcrawler are sort of X-Men in exile, and then later on also Wolf Spain and Doug Locke. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug's lock kind of implies something. I, I, like, <laughs> I like that as a formalization, but that is, you know, there's, there, we're gonna we're gonna get to a question about this. But for me, that's my definitive Kitty Pride is Excalibur era Kitty, a specifically early Excalibur, like pre Warren Ellis. She certainly starts to come into her own there. I think, like the, the sort of independent Kitty Pride that ideally should have come out of the Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries. Yeah. That's where we actually do see that character. Yeah, you see more, I think, that what you're getting in current continuity. Professor Kitty, mm-hmm. you can see those origins, I think, much more clearly in Excalibur. Absolutely. And that's, that's a Kitty, too, who I think is kind of coming into her own as a person. And so comes back to some of the whimsy that we saw in Kitty's fairy tale. Some of that is a byproduct of the fact that Excalibur is the ridiculous reality-hopping fairy tale hijinks series. But she embraces that and embraces the silliness of it in a way that I think, for me, kind of speaks to more maturity and starting to really grow up and not feeling like you have to be really serious and have a very serious sh- code name that is Shadow Cat. <laughs> um, and so after the Excalibur days, <laughs> I said, "Come on, I I would totally have I picked that as a serious say, code name when I, I was fourteen. I dare you to say my name, my code name is Shadow Cat with a straight face. My code name is Shadow Cat. Yeah, he did it. Wow. Well I am in awe. <laughs> Although you said it in the Wolverine voice, so. Well, that's how you stay really serious. Serious, that's right. Everything. Uh, yeah, so, my code name is Shadow Cat. Yeah, but then, yeah, then there's the, okay, no, because you know, the smile the came. We had the, the end. Lip, we had the lip okay, curl. Fine, man. So speaking <laughs> of, of no, perhaps overly serious, right? Try. Not even attempting. No, uh. I know my limits. <laughs> so after the Excalibur days, we see Kitty kind of I don't know adrift. Maybe is the right word. She's on her own for a while. She has a brief miniseries called Mechanics, where she's going back to school, which I really liked because something that people forget with Kitty, and especially in later versions of Kitty, is she's she's a really diehard coder and and hacker. Like she's she is a computer nerd and that is her thing seeing her actually you know go back to school for it is really nice because yeah kitty should be an inventor she should be doing that stuff well, she's also a genius yeah right we, we and that's i think my other problem with jumping back to the miniseries right wow for a girl as smart as she's supposed to be 
She ain't very smart. And I guess you could do the book smart, street smart distinction, but even so. So, (laughs) We do see Kitty come back onto the X-Men. When Colossus dies for a while, she becomes this very dark character. She has one of Wolverine's severed claws attached to her arm, and she's a ninja assassin, and I never... She cuts her hair again. I never bought that, personally. (laughs) It's worth noting, and I I mentioned this, that that all of her, almost all of her extra-universal counterparts have different code names, that the 616 Kitty is kind of the brightest version of Kitty, almost all of the other kitties that we ever encounter, I think with one exception I can think of, are much, much darker characters. There's one who's basically the underworld kingpin of her world, Shadow, which I think is the best iteration of that codename um, who we yes. see in, in Greg Pak's run on, on Extreme X-Men. There's, of course, the Age of Apocalypse Kitty, who is super dark. Actually, the Age of Apocalypse Kitty and the kitty I just mentioned with the one Wolverine claw had a whole lot in common. Yeah, same haircut and everything. That worked in Age of Apocalypse, if you like Age of Apocalypse, which I personally do. Not so much in the main universe, I think. Um, And even, you know, across the cross-time caper, you see a lot of different versions of her. And again, almost all of them are a lot angrier and a lot more violent and a a lot more deadly and sort of a lot more logical as character arcs coming out of, you know, that miniseries. It's it's the shock value of that play, too, right? Mm -hmm, It's like we take mm -hmm. Kitty and we made her dark. Things That's how be, dark the world is. Look how dark really it is. Up, exactly. Yeah. It's so bad. Even Kitty's dark. Which is weird because she kind of is in the main universe. Like she keeps on getting pulled into screwed up stuff and being not evil mostly by accident, circumstance, and alliance. I mean, there's there's all of the Black Air stuff and Excalibur. There's all of the Shield stuff. There's mm-hmm. a, a ton of things. So these days she is back with the X Men. Um, she's been back since Whedon's run because he's a huge Kitty Pride fan. Um, Despite killing, I feel she like I feel like someone she at some point better. told really? Joss Whedon, mm-hmm. "Kill your darlings," and he just got that imprinted on a plaque, and that's his primary philosophy Actually, as a writer. I've got the same plaque. <laughs> yeah, they hand them out. <laughs> you get your MA, and you get the plaque. Kill. I actually really dig the status quo she's at right now. Like her, it feels like a very full circle thing. Yeah, she was back. She was co-running the Jean Grey school with Wolverine for a while and basically just being the super ego to that unit. Now she is off. She is Professor K and she is hanging out with Cyclops' underground X-Men and she's specifically keeping an eye on the time-displaced original five. Well, original four, I guess, because Cyclops is out in space. Right, and and, and I really love that concept because, you know, she was the person who was the kind of ward of, of the team. She was the child to hang out with the adults and now she's the adult that's taking care of the children who would later be become the adults that yeah, took no, care the of the Ouroboros there is is a nightmare I, I agree with you I think what's being done with her right now is fantastic I'm, I've really enjoyed reading her the really yeah. important thing is that we get to watch her and Ileana being sassy at each other again yeah. which is something that I have been missing for decades and actually one thing I would like to see more of I mean I love her as Professor K for, for the reasons we were just discussing but I'd love to see her more doing her own thing I know she's been um, in Guardians of the Galaxy a little bit because she and Star-Lord are somewhat involved these days should we cover the Peter thing Oh yeah, yeah. She thing. was briefly with Iceman for a while, and I'm I'm convinced that she dumped him because his name's not a variation on Peter. Right, because she was with Piotr Rasputin, Colossus, <laughs> and then she was with Pete Wisdom, douchebag. I mean, and now she's kind of involved with Peter, Peter Quill, Quill. Star Lord, yeah. and yeah. Let let the kitty likes Peter jokes begin. <laughs> <laughs> Overlooking wah, a wah. huge amount of subtext, which we will be covering in an essay by the excellent Sigrid Ellis this week on the website so stop back in for that um yeah she's she's got a very specific type uh, let's talk about kind of why Kitty how, how Kitty works for us and doesn't work for us as a character I mean I think that's uh there, there's a lot to be said about this a character who's a fan favorite and I think a favorite for all of us as well everyone who I talk to either really loves or really hates Kitty Pride. There, there aren't a lot of people who are neutral on her and the main objection that I hear 
is from folks who say, oh, well, she's too much of a fantasy character. She's too much of an, of an of course she is character. Oh, you know, she's she's the only kid on this grown-up team. Of course she is. She's got demon ninja skills. Of course she does. Would you would you use and the words Mary Sue? I would actually try I would actually try to avoid that because that's a term I try to work around because it's mm. one that tends to be applied almost exclusively to female characters mm. while ignoring the Harry Potters, Luke Skywalkers and equivalently endowed and destined characters <laughs> who are are male. And so I I so we just I just call them wish fulfillment. Yeah, I like the phrase the of course she is character which I think mm. Karen Healy came up with. You know, for me Kitty Pride was a huge point of identification because she was a kid who was too smart for her own good, awkwardly detached from her peer group because of it, who was way more comfortable in the company of adults than other kids, and who was was just smart enough to realize how disconnected she was because of it, but not enough to compensate for it. And that was something that I identified with just incredibly, incredibly closely as a teenager. And the fact that she was a frizzy-haired Jewish kid from the Midwest helped, too. (laughs) But that specific thing, I mean, you don't really see smart kids and smart teenagers written in believable and identifiable ways very often. You see them written as kind of demi-adults. And that's something that she falls into sometimes. But I latched onto the times when she wasn't and to the, the, the balance between, you know, being very savvy and very smart on one level and very much a kid on another that was something I didn't find in a lot of places and something that I really valued in Kitty. I think she's also one of the few X-Men characters who's really been allowed to grow up believably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's needed to. Yeah. She has to. Otherwise, none of the romance cards get to be played. There is that, although... Warren, unless, I, th- I think that's Yeah, quite, unless you're Warren Ellis and don't realize she's 16 and just assume she's in her 20s, yeah. which is what led to the sketchiest relationship ever. But Second yeah, I mean, sketchiest. You know, as Kitty grows up, then we have Jubilee after her. We have maybe Pixie or Armor after her. Like, you know, this, this sort of cycle of characters that grow up to a vague adulthood point and then just sort of sit there like most all comic them, characters all, do. All of them female. Yeah, which is, which is interesting. And I, I, I kind of wonder, I don't know, how much of that is the... In comics, female characters tend to be less experienced, and how much of that is X Men trying to be progressive? I honestly don't know. I don't think. I don't think it's the latter. Okay, and how fair. much? How much of it is? And this is the most cynical thing ever. But how much of it is is trying to create a point of entry for teenage male readers of I think the girl they could is. date? And if I'm being entirely honest, I was the exact age to fall into exactly that yeah. when I started reading X Men. Look, I make no secret of my crush on Kitty Pride, along mm-hmm. with everybody else who was reading the books at that time. Kitty was the one you could feel good about having a crush on. Mm-hmm. Right. If you were the guy, if if you were the male equivalent of what Rachel has described in high school, so if you're a Kitty was the girl who would get along with you. You know, exactly. that, that was that was the girl who would be your friend, who would talk to you. But I feel like for, for me, at least, there was more to it than that, because that was certainly there. But there was also, you know, you, you said that you were definitely questioning the motives, Greg, of why these are all female characters, these young characters learning the ropes. I don't think it's overt, mind you, Miles. I mean, I don't I don't think that necessarily it's somebody going you know what we're going to introduce another young female character to the x team and she'll become a you know a fan favorite of the boys and i don't sure, think sure. that's what it is i think there's a far more subconscious i think it's i, I, when, I think there's a sexism at work when those I, characters come in i don't think it's necessarily even market marketing driven either i think it's that when you say we're going to write a sort of wide-eyed guileless point of entry character who's not going to be super competent the default gender for that set of traits mm-hmm. is going to be female. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would love to see that story with, a, I want to see them bring in a 12-year-old guy. 
Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, like, I mean, l- looking back to when I was a kid, because I was reading this stuff way after it came out, of course. Um, but Thanks for reminding me of my age. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just saying I can't claim that direct Listen, experience. Sonny. <laughs> and I'll be going. But yeah, I mean, if you looked at like X-Men and comics compared to, say, Saturday morning cartoons or whatever that I was also watching at the time, that was all boys. And that was all like, oh, look, it's vaguely me on the screen. And mm-hmm. I think for me, seeing the points of entry character be a girl was that I think that actually had a huge effect on me being like, obviously, I have a crush on this female character, but I'm also identifying with her. I'm identifying with a female character sure, sure. in a way that a lot of mainstream culture doesn't seem to want me to. Well, or doesn't allow for you to just doesn't, yeah. right. doesn't even acknowledge the possibility. I agree that uh, can, sort of systemic sexism is responsible. We, we for can that. be progressive for all the wrong reasons. Miles, exactly. Miles, I mean, it's, exactly. Happened, it's happened over and over. Again. Totally. Look, I love the character. I'm, I'm, ne- I'm never going to go around and say, you know, they shouldn't have. She shouldn't be there. It, there's a whole other question I see mm-hmm. as we all glance nervously at our watches. <laughs> there's a whole other question we discussed there about that mentorship role and so on. What does it look like if it's not Kitty Pride, you know, but if it's Tom Pride that Wolverine is mentoring? Well, what and is who that? is who bonds that hard to Storm as a parent figure? Yeah. Um, man, I would like to discuss this at length, but right now, yeah, we are almost out of time. So we're going to have to jump to questions. Lightning round on questions. Go, yes. go, go. Um, so Steve Pence on Twitter asks, what is the best version of Kitty after Claremont? Davis is Excalibur, Whedon's X-Men. I mean, my favorite is Davis's Excalibur. I don't know if that's the best, but it's my definitive one. I gotta go for Davis's Excalibur also myself. Greg? I'm loving what's going on right now. Yeah, it's brilliant stuff. Totally agree. Okay, and then we have a question from from Elmarie Collins on Tumblr. How come Kitty Pride just... <laughs> this is a long one. How come Kitty Pride just wears a variation on the Xavier School uniform these days instead of a costume of her own? It seems especially weird with her because in her early days on the team, graduating out of that uniform and creating her own identity was a driving force of her character development. It seems weird that now, as a grown woman and a professor herself, she just wears the old yellow and black. The answer is in your question. I can speak to this to an extent. I mean, I can't speak to anyone's intentions or any creative intentions, but I can say as, as a teenager who was all about that, you know, trying on identities and outfits and changing that stuff up and who now has sort of settled relaxedly into a fairly narrow uniform of clothing. She grew up, which isn't to say you can't grow up and be into those things. But for that, I always saw, I always saw the costume thing as very much being kind of an external exploration of just the identity flux of adolescence for Kitty. Mm -hmm. And so now that she's got a sort of more solid sense of who she is, those external trappings have become less relevant. Well, Or or it's the same thing. She now knows who she is. So she, what she wears is her identity. Mm-hmm. And, and the identity that she's content with. And I want to go back, first of all, to um, Elle Collins, who asked this question, because first of all, we owe her a shout out for a research assist on the cold open in this episode, because um, I gave up on figuring out the microverse. <laughs> and, um, but second, a lot of you have asked about what podcasts we'd recommend for fans of Rachel and Miles Explaining the X-Men. Um, Elle is a friend of ours, and as it just happens, she has just launched a new podcast called Intuit, where she interviews guests about their pop culture obsession. So if you're into that kind of contagious passion and people who are, are into pop culture and you know, really granular detail, which we assume that you are if you're listening to and enjoying us um you should totally check it out it's a rad show again she's a friend but um honestly i would be listening to this anyway okay well uh as you alluded to greg we are just about out of time but thank you again so much for coming back to the thank show thank you i apologize for the occasional muffled coughs i'm still fighting the death cold of uh, 2014 years so. uh tis definitely the season yeah yeah um and yeah so i know it's been like a, a light year in, in uh wait no that's distance okay <laughs> it's been an eon there we go in podcast years since you're on i like but, the idea uh, of there being podcast years like cat years yeah. Mark sex. <laughs> 
Pod sex. We'll call them pod sex. <laughs> so we are coming right back to the, the you know, slash names. <laughs> but uh, yes. Just stick with what we know, right? Perhaps that's for the best. Uh, All right. So as always, Rachel and Miles explain the X-Men is recorded in Portland, Oregon and produced by Bobby Roberts, who is also the co-host of Welcome to That Whole Thing and Full of Sith. New episodes go up on Sundays, every Sunday at rachelandmiles.com on iTunes and on Stitcher. We are also at rachelandmiles.com with a bunch of extra content, including visual companions to every episode, essays, and art. This week in particular, we're going to have a fantastic essay about Kitty Pride and queer subtext in Claremont's X-Men from the amazing Sigrid Ellis, who you might know from projects like We Are Comics. She was the co-editor, and this actually essay originally appeared in Chicks Did Comics, and she's in general one of the smartest, coolest commentators editor on the internet. on Pretty Deadly. She is, yeah. She edits Pretty Deadly. And uh, all of this, the extra articles at our site, the art we do, um, our video reviews, that's all made possible by our Patreon supporters. Yay! So, thank you all. Yes, yay indeed. Uh, if you I like was the not show, paid for this appearance. I want you to know your Patreon dollars go to them, not me. We'll give you a tote bag if you want. No, thanks. No tote bag. <laughs> I have, if I come back with another tote bag, Jen sends me away. <laughs> no mugs, no tote bags, no t-shirts anymore. Well, if you would like uh, some of the things that Greg just described not being able to take, or if you'd like to support us, uh, please consider becoming a patron if you can. Um, also, please rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. That helps us a lot, too. Next week, we will be checking back in at long last with the X-Men. We'll explore supervillain empty nest syndrome, the worst wedding ever, and how Cyclops just can't catch a break. See you then. Yeah.